This episode is sponsored by Agent CRM. If you're in sales and tired of paying three, four, or five different companies for your email, CRM, funnels, phone, follow-up automation, check out Agent CRM. It's an all-in-one tool that combines all that you need to reach out, nurture, and close your clients. They've got weekly support calls so you can get up and running in no time. Get a free 14-day trial by going to the link below in the show notes. Hello, everyone. This is Dan Nguyen with the Intentional Entrepreneur Podcast. I have a very special guest with me today. He's the author of a book called A Firm Worth Building, which helps professional businesses scale and thrive. Uh, he has he started his firm with just twenty dollars in savings and managed has now managed uh, up to half a billion dollars in his RA RIA business. I do want to welcome to the show Rick Watson. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to ha- have you too. And certainly, um, uh, I'm very excited about the topic we're going to talk about today, which is building trust faster through the concept of trust compression. But before we kind of get into the nuts and bolts, can you share a little bit about yourself and how you got to what you're doing today? Yeah. So I, I was a reluctant entrepreneur. Um, <laughs> I actually was really happy working under somebody else. Mm-hmm. And uh, that situation changed. So um, so I just started building a business. And um, as I started to build, I started to realize, well, now I need staffing. Well, now I need, I need to leverage my time better. And mm-hmm. what came of it was five different companies today. Um, mm. And I think that's really common in entrepreneurs. I think that really shocked me is the number of them that own more than one company. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you and I work with a lot of business owners um, and, and it's obviously we've been in the game a little bit and it's kind of now commonplace. It's not, it's not hard to see that it's um, business owners have multiple you know, we call it streams streams of income, and uh, maybe we'll touch on, on on it today and discuss how you know how how is that possible without distracting. Uh, and yeah, you know, I think, the- <laughs> I think that the thing is is that the that it's once you have those lessons, and it's why we mm-hmm. wrote the book Firm Worth mm-hmm. Building, is mm-hmm. that once you have those concepts, it's applicable in so many ways. And mm-hmm. I I'm interviewed all the time on you know I just was doing one for uh, for therapists. Right, mm-hmm. which which I think is so interesting, but the therapy business is a business, and it runs mm-hmm. like a business. Exactly, exactly. And um, you know, you just wrote this book, a firm firm worth building, helping professionals, you know, obviously scale and and grow their business. And as service professionals, right, a lot of it, right, our business, a lot of it rides on our our, our reputation and how we service our clients. And uh, um, for a lot of us, it's it, it's it's by referral. And I think with referrals, obviously, there is a kind of inherent trust with that. But how do you, you know, kind of squeeze as, you know, imply that trust or impose that trust, so to speak, in the shortest amount of time possible so that service professionals can secure the client and and service them the way they should be serviced? I think, uh, well, I'll start by just saying to answer that question. so many businesses, they're not intentional about it. So mm. you want to be intentional, right? About mm-hmm. that client experience. What is it exactly? Part of that intentional client experience is this concept called trust compression. Mm-hmm. So trust compression is the idea of shortening the amount of time before they feel like you're their best friend. 
Hmm. And the way that happens, it's weird the way humans are wired. We're not based on the on the length of interactions. I think sometimes we're like, well, I'm just going to spend an hour, two hours with them and try to build that trust. It doesn't work like that. Hmm. What happens is your brain checks in and says, how was the last interaction was that? Per- how was the la- last interaction with that person? Hmm. And if it was good, then they kind of check a box and they go on to the next. So breaking appointments into more frequent appointments, short, more frequent appointments mm. is much more powerful. Um, if in in my business, my side of the business, um, we'll usually meet. I mean, the business the way it usually works is they'll meet with somebody, they talk for an hour and a half until the person's just exhausted, mm-hmm. and then they come back a second time, maybe two, three weeks later, and do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Well, the client forgets all sorts of stuff between one meeting and the other. But Mm -hmm. uh, if, and it wasn't necessarily a good experience, they're exhausted. If Mm -hmm. I take that same meeting and break it into four 20 minute meetings, I'm Mm -hmm. more efficient with my time. And that person now will have two or three years worth of experience with me. That's how we've aged that relationship really quickly by, Mm -hmm. by, and then we hold those meetings really tight together. So three or four Mm -hmm. days apart, Mm -hmm. that idea compresses that relationship and um, and again, then you, they're your best friend because they've met with you four, five, six times in a very short amount of time. Now, is this rule applicable in in every scenario? Are there exceptions? Because I think for some people, like you know, uh, we could have made they may have a, a thinking where it's, hey, we could have just knocked everything out instead of four meetings into just a, one or two meetings. Yeah, I think you're right. I think mm-hmm. that that. You know, is, is it a meeting to get something specifically done? Like, mm. um, I need to get the inform- data, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're right. You'd be crazy to break that up across multiple meetings. I think if the relation, if it, if we're trying to build relationship, then more frequent meetings is better. Mm. Um, one of the things that we talk about in our firm a lot, it's the number of meals that you can share with a client. Mm. The number that is the best measuring stick for how mm. how tight you are. And so we'll do, for example, client trips and I spend, you know, I'll spend eight lunches and dinners with people. Well, Mm -hmm. I'm so much more tight with them at the end of that. So, but again, Mm -hmm. you're right. If it's, there are times when you'll mush meetings together, Mm -hmm. but you're intentional. Even when you do that, you don't just sort of do it. It's Mm -hmm. because you're trying to specifically get a lot of accomplished because this plastic surgeon is really hard to get with and you're only going to get a few minutes of time. So we're going to try to make that really tight, but ideally Mm-hmm. If I can break meetings apart um, and you'll build trust faster by making more frequent, mm-hmm. um, more impactful meetings. Yeah. Can, can you can you expand on that a little bit also as well? Because you mentioned a little bit, if it's kind of a data collection meeting, then you know, you'll need to spend as many time, as much time as you need. Uh, yeah. are, we, are we kind of talking about maybe early on in the relationship where we have not secured the client's? And then how, how do you kind of sell it to them, right? Because typically yeah. for me, I, I only need one, maybe two, just to, as a follow-up because I had to do some research. Um, so how do you kind of sell some of, you know, you know, four meetings, maybe 20 minutes to the client? So I think what we do is we talk about the importance of the relationship in the very mm-hmm. beginning. We mm-hmm. outline, so in our process, we have a four-step process for bringing on a new client. Um they expect that. And in fact, if you violate those four, they'll complain. Well, I only got three meetings. I was supposed to get four. So I think that, um, so a lot of times, a lot of professionals, attorneys would be an example of that where they oftentimes are 
they're all about data, right? I need data. Mm-hmm. The problem is you haven't earned the right to ask for that data. So mm-hmm. think of mm-hmm. it, uh, I think there's a lot of similarities between the dating scene, right? You mm-hmm. could sit down with somebody and say, so you're sitting in a bar and you're saying, tell me uh, these things. These mm-hmm. You're asking questions that you haven't earned the right to ask yet, okay? Mm-hmm. So it would be better to say hello to them, do whatever you do, and then mm-hmm. walk away. <laughs> Come yeah. back later. Yeah. And I think it's that desperate person that spends all that energy, you know, for four hours and they're like, okay, whatever. You, <laughs> you're not thinking that you're, yeah, that you're the person to be with. So, um, yeah. Yeah. so I think that walking away and setting that up where we're going to build relationship. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you have to earn the right to ask those questions. Mm. If I built a client for a long period of time, I can, I can just ask the questions and go through it because I've already earned the right. But mm-hmm. But in the beginning of a relationship, even that data entry is an opportunity to build relationship. Right, right. You oh. mentioned uh, you mentioned breaking bread, and I agree. Breaking bread is probably one of the most uh, uh, valuable things you can do with the with with actually anybody, right? To kind of get get to know them and and kind of learn more about them. Uh, another another scenario someone told me is actually my sales journey. He said. Give them a ride to the airport. You will, you will, you will get to know them so much better if you you gave someone, you know, that person you want to get to know that that ride to the airport. I agree. Take a walk. Uh, take a walk. So you know, kind of along these lines of thinking, what have you seen outside of breaking bread, taking walks, driving them to the airport? You know, if we can get creative here, what what other kind of perhaps activities uh, can be used to really, uh, 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 you know, compress the time to get trust. So I think, again, that our trust compression is the idea of splitting up meetings and breaking, mm-hmm. building relationships, sort of a separate thing. It's mm-hmm. part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, in ideas, it's interesting. Um, one of the things that we do is when you have an agenda, that's where that relationship breaks down. If you less mm-hmm. have an agenda and you're just spending time together. So for mm-hmm. example, a lot of meals that we do with clients, we don't, or um, we'll do group, group dinners with no mm-hmm. agenda. Mm-hmm. Like no presentation. Mm-hmm. That's a really hard for people because they want to get their stuff across. Yeah. It's more important that they become receptive to your message and trust you. They, the old expression, they people care more about how much you care than how much you know. Mm. So a lot of times people want to push how much they know. And I think that's a mistake. It's way better to spend that time building some sort of a relationship, a footing yeah. to build everything mm-hmm. on. And I don't know, uh, off the top of my head, I mean, a walk or um, sometimes you call a client and just say, hey, it's your birthday or it's your kid's birthday. The more information you know about them, that's mm-hmm. helpful. Throw mm-hmm. that piece back out. How's, mm-hmm. you know, Buffy the dog, right? They'll go, oh, mm-hmm. thanks for asking. That's really good. So you're, you're, you're making sure they know that you know them. And we there write is, all those notes down. Like what kind of right. chocolate they like, what kind of drinks they like, what kind of, you know, anything yeah. that we can pick up, we have like a list of things that we know about them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if you're a fan of The Office, um, but yeah. there, there's a there's a particular scene where they're selling paper to uh, a, a, a pretty medium-sized business and and the salesman had the note, note card, right? And then, mm-hmm. you know, how's, how's your son? Do you still have the yacht? Uh, do you still go hunting? And it was kind of, uh, it, you know, these these salespeople are kind of, you know, hardened and battle tested, so they kind of know, you know, what what it takes. But for service, a lot of service professionals, they're kind of used to just p- 
people coming to them because they're the licensed expert and they never had to go hustle and build relationships and build that relationship fast. I think I agree with you. I think yeah. everything is sales and so many of mm-hmm. um, professionals assume that their product is not to be sold. Per- accountants particularly are like they bristle, <laughs> but attorneys as well, right? I, I think mm-hmm. like I'm a professional and you're supposed to listen to me. But at the end of the day, as one of my good friends, he's a doctor and mm-hmm. he was, I said, how's it going? And right in the beginning and after he got out of, and gotten into practice and he goes, I never realized I was going to have to sell my services. So all professionals do it. And mm-hmm. part of sales is building relationships. Right, right, and and I would argue, everyone is in the uh, everyone's in the, in the business sales, sales right? And if you can close a four year old on ha- eating their vegetables at dinner time or get them to go to sleep, you you're halfway to be a seasoned sales professional. Yeah, I think that uh, in the end of <laughs> analysis, sales is nothing more than influence. Exactly. I, I also think, by the way, that sales yeah. is so. Like the negative side of sales is seen, like, I don't know, the used car feel, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the guys who are really, the people who are really good mm-hmm. at it, um, it's a conversation. And you just feel mm-hmm. like they care about you and they're mm-hmm. listening to you and everything's great. Um, that They're getting all sorts of information about what you need and what you want. Yeah. I've heard this saying, um, no one likes to be sold, but they like to buy. Everyone and likes I- to buy. And I just kind of thought about it. I was like, oh man, that is so on point. Well, and and I think the other thing in sales is it just is a little bit of a departure. But the other thing about sales is that um, that most people's experience are the lo- are the low end salespeople, the least mm-hmm. trained, least capable. But you'd rarely have an opportunity, for example, to talk to a person who sold Lear jets. I'm mm-hmm. sure a Lear jet salesman is really, really, really good at their job. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and you'd be like, well, this is completely different. So, you know, they're, they're taking their experience from the shoe salesman, not from the Learjet salesman or whatever. Right, right. And most people, if, if it was a very exceptional salesperson, like the Learjet, you probably wouldn't be, you wouldn't even notice that, you know, you're, you're, you were sold on it. You just kind of bought it. And well, because they're helping they're, you to get what you want, right? Exactly, At the end of the day, they're yeah. just conduits to helping you understand what you want and mm-hmm. get what you want. Yeah. So let me, let me kind of go down a, 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 an alley here. And obviously, you know, building trust really fast is really important for service professionals. Obviously, uh, it, it kind of is around referral marketing. And one of the things that um, I've seen is as compared to, say, digital marketing or, you know, direct response to the mail, that is easily measurable, right? Like we can send out a thousand flyers or spend, you know, $10 on a cost per click and we got a thousand clicks and this is how many people click. And eventually this is how many you know leads we got and this is how many clients we got. How do we measure something based on referral relationships, time spent, things, things like that? So it's funny. I, I was just talking with an attorney who, who had no idea what his numbers were. I said, well, what's your cost per for referral or, or, you know, what's your conversion rate? Well, I have no idea because I, well, then how do you run the business? If you have no just, you know, control of any of those. Um, I think it's super important to know. Um, at the very least, to your point, I got 10 referrals. I turned it into six clients or two clients. 
That's that's your your conversion rate. Mm. You need to know mm. that. Um, your cost per referral. Well, I know how much I did to give that guy the, the guy who gave me the referral. I know what I put into that right, that relationship. Mm. I mm. Um, took him to. I gave him uh, basketball tickets. Uh, you know, went out and spent time. I mean, that's that's something that you could quantify if you wanted mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. I, I get that general marketing is not quantifiable. So. Mm. You know, you were sending um, just image or the stuff you put on Facebook. You might mm. you might not be generating lead flow out of there. You're really trying to develop a re- reputation, mm. and and that's sort of base base um, marketing. But uh, but yeah, you should be able to know those numbers because you can't run the business if you don't know those numbers. And part of you brought up um, referrals. Uh, I think this concept that's in the book about edification is also super important. It's mm. if a referral says, I have this guy, Dan, he's an attorney. Well, I've just commoditized you by the way I introduced you. Mm. Right. Cause now you're all attorneys, right? So <laughs> I have a better attorney over here or a better yeah. one over there. Who knows? Right. Mm. I didn't say I have this guy, Dan, and he's an amazing person. First, I have to start with this a family. He is mm. an amazing family person. I mean, he mm. just really, you know, whatever. I don't, I could tell a story. Dan and I went fishing and he fell over the fishing box and right. The point is now you're something different. Mm-hmm. And so how you introduce somebody this idea of edification, how I edify you is going to determine how much they trust you. I can transfer my trust that I mm-hmm. built. In, if I do it poorly, um, I can also de-edify you. Mm-hmm. Be, mm-hmm. Dan's a great guy, but if he doesn't return your phone call right away, you know, don't be surprised because he's really busy. Well, that's I just, I just cut your legs out from under you. <laughs> the back, compliment. So uh, all of these things are important, all of which are in mm-hmm. the book. Do you talk about in the book, do you kind of expand on training, right? Training that particular person to edify yes, you? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So we edify, uh, I mean, edification works okay. not just between professionals. Like for example, an accountant is going to recommend an attorney, mm-hmm. but, um, but it also works between you and your staff. So mm-hmm. a lot of times, particularly attorneys or accountants for that matter, are the center of their universe. Mm-hmm. So they don't, they want to be the big cheese and everybody else is sort of serves them. <laughs> the problem with that is that if you're the big cheese, why should I trust the little cheese, right? Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. need to build your staff people up to be better than you, mm. right? Yeah. So yeah. to my point, I bet you 95% of my client and of my client interactions are not with me. Think about mm. that because I can scale. If 95% of my interactions are with me, I can't scale because I've made everything about me. So what you do is you say, hey, I'm going to introduce you to Shannon. And you know, again, let me tell you a little story. You can give her a million dollars, put it in your backyard. Five years from now, come back. It would still be there because she's like that. Okay, Salt of the earth. Well, now they've just taken an instant liking to her, trust her. And if she's got anything, she's definitely going to bring me back in if she needs help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're, they're great. And that's, where, that's how you can get 95% of your interactions mm-hmm. to not be with you, which allows you to scale. Yeah, yeah. So how do you, um, obviously you're edifying your, uh, your team. Can you, can you expand on that one? How do you kind of train on this, right? Because like, obviously... If if the boss has a particular mindset or attitude about 
great customer service, being responsive. Um, how do you kind of transcend, transform your team? Say, hey, this is this is the tech we're taking. I need you all to be better than me, so they want to talk to you instead of me. So I think if you keep a secret, then if it's all in your head, there's no way that it's going to get transferred, right? So for for us, we do regular meetings and all of this mm. stuff is discussed. Mm. It is very intentional. If it looks, I always think sales looks like um, it's an accident. It just looks mm. like it's, they're just really nice people. But, mm. but really behind the scenes, it's very intentional. We built everything. We've discussed it. It gets discussed all, all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do it between each other. So we encourage it and people, the leader leads by example. So if mm-hmm. I do it and then if they're not doing it, I'll, you know, and then I'll catch them and say, Hey, shouldn't you be doing this with each other? Oh yeah. But mm-hmm. it, you're setting the tempo. You're setting the example all the time. Um, and it does work its way. It takes time. Mm-hmm. And, and you'll be like, well, you just talked to so-and-so and you, you had, um, this other staff person, on the phone, you, you didn't even introduce them. And they're like, oh, yeah, I didn't even think about that. All right. Well, so next time, you know, and, you know, it's eventually will kick, but it takes a little while to build that. Um, that becomes part of company culture, the expectations that people have of each other within a company, mm-hmm. right? The employees yeah. have of each other. So it's the feel of the company. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've we've already talked about trust compression and, and edification. Are those, uh, are those, kind of intertwined, right? Because there's some, you know, trust, trust yeah, and, and right? trust. I think trust compression yeah. is really more about the concept of compressing the amount of time and the way that the appointments occur. Mm. Edification is in setting somebody up with momentum and a chance for success. Mm. So mm. I, I want to be very mindful that I don't cut their legs out for, um, from mm. under them. Um, mm-hmm. When I'm introducing another professional, for example, if you were going to mm-hmm. say, "Hey, I've got an insurance guy I want you to go talk to," you know, hopefully he doesn't sell you something. That would be a way of cutting his legs out. <laughs> um, so I think mm-hmm. that that being very mindful of how you introduce somebody mm-hmm. is not it helps them, but it's not part of trust compression. They are kind mm-hmm. of separate concepts. Got it. Got it. Uh, obviously, you work with a lot of professional service firms, what are some of the most common challenges you're seeing uh, in those firms that are really holding them back? So the biggest thing that I find, particularly, there's a lot of smaller firms, the really big firms, they um, they have their act together. But mm. the smaller firms, two, three, four professionals, um, their biggest problem is they run the firm like a fiefdom and not like mm. a company. They don't mm let's be super mindful of culture and our process. What's our value proposition? They're like, Oh, I'm an accountant and I do a, I do taxes. Well, great. You just commoditized yourself, right? Why don't you tell a story that, that is unique about your value proposition? Um, and, and again, being super mindful, they'll have people well, of, of what they're trying to create. It's sort of like raising kids. You build specifically the kind of, kids you want to exist in the world 10 or 20 years from now. Mm-hmm. And, and you do that with your company. But mm. if you don't, then all sorts of things start happening goofy. So I think that's probably the biggest thing that I see um, in that environment. The other thing is they don't work in teams. 
Mm. So the accountant works separate from the attorney, whereas they mm. should be building teams, which is one of our company's national referral network, is all about having them play in a sandbox together without eating each other. Because mm. that's what typically happens, right? The accountant undercuts the profession, the attorney and the or the financial advisor, because at the end of the day, what they want to be in charge. And building a digital team of like a family office environment mm-hmm. um, is way more powerful. And they just mm-hmm. have to eventually see that. So yeah, nrnamerica.com, that's that company. All right. Yeah, for sure. We'll put that link in the uh in the show notes. Um before we kind of get into the rapid fire lightning round questions for you as a business owner and entrepreneur, what are some parting thoughts you can share with the professionals that are listening to this show right now? Yeah. Um, again, I've said it probably a hundred times today, but be very intentional about how you build your business. It's, it's what you care about, what brings you energy or if mm. it doesn't bring you energy, if you're just, you know, there's a point where you should maybe be work, working for somebody else. Because mm-hmm. have somebody else who's actually going to run it with intention. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think uh, I think that if if you if you're going to run a business, you owe it to the business to run it with your, all your heart and soul. And the only way that happens is if you have passion about what you're doing, and that should lead to intentionality about what and who you want to build. All right. We're here with Rick Watson, author of A Firm Worth Building. Hey, if our listeners want to get in touch with you or even buy the book, what's the best way to do so? So, Simplest way, Amazon to buy the book. Mm. Um, uh, NR, I'm sorry, wrong address. So (laughs) it's uh, A Firm Worth Building uh, Mm. on Amazon. Uh, The other way to do it is uh, go to nrnamerica.com. Uh, and the book is going to pop right up there. That's a really cool site where if you're a professional and you want to connect with other professionals. And then lastly, uh, you can just uh, find me on uh, protectionpointadvisors.com. Mm-hmm. I'm there. You can easily send me an email if you have questions and you just want to ask a quick question about entrepreneurship. I'm happy to help you there too. All right. Thank you so much. We'll put those links in the show notes. Uh, are you ready for the questions? I, I guess so. Let's go. <laughs> All right. Who do you look up to? I, Elon Musk a lot, actually. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. the he's the perfect example of an entrepreneur, I think. Yeah, yeah. Fearless. Right. What is the what is your favorite business book? Um other than a firm worth building. Um, <laughs> um, I have to say uh, two that I can come to mind. One is Stephen Co- Covey's uh, Seven um, Habits. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the other one is E-Myth Revisited, which is the stupidest name in the world for a book. But it uh, is an amazing book about talks about a pie business and how to make that business run better. But you realize he's teaching you all sorts of other businesses. Yeah. Right, right. Um, if you could do one thing over again, what would it be? Start uh, the registered investment advisor firm earlier. I went through a number of places before I got there, and I wish I'd started that earlier. Got it. Uh, are you familiar with the term three feet from gold? I'm not familiar with that term. Okay, so it's kind of a it's kind of a parable for uh, for entrepreneurs. So the story goes. Uh, a mining prospector buys land because he hears there's gold in Roseville, California. And so he buys all the equipment, buys the land, digs, 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 digs for many years, doesn't find anything. So finally he gives up, sells all his land, his mining equipment to the next guy 
And that guy only digs three feet before he hits a large vein of gold. So as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, how do you know when to pivot in your business? And how do you know when you might be just three feet from gold? I don't know that you do know. I mean, mm-hmm. in, my, in my experience, um, I think that the people who have grit tend to perform better. And that means that most of the time they're exceeding the place that reasonable people would have stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I've always, I called it belligerence, but I had a writing coach <laughs> who said, no, belligerence is a bad word. But, <laughs> I, but I believe that you just, you know, there are folks who, if you were smart, you would have stopped. I think entrepreneurs mm. as a general rule have grit and they just keep going and um, many times beyond the point when it made sense. So, And it's only after the fact that it makes sense. I, I, I will say you, I try to move an inch forward, at least an inch every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you lose everything in your business. The only thing you have is your laptop, your cell phone, and an internet connection. How do you rebuild your business in 30 days? That's an interesting question. I don't know. That's a tough one. I'm th- my initial thought is I'm looking to buy. I've got my reputation. I'm thinking I would buy somebody else's business who wasn't running it very efficiently. Oh, yeah, that's probably what I would do. I would go and find another big business and say, let me show you how to, to do this. And, oh, by the way, I'll take a third or 50% of the net receipts over over a, you know over where you're at today. So they get 50% and I get 50%, but I just basically took over their existing business. So yeah, I mean, that's another way that I would think off the top of my head. Got it. Um, what's the best thing you spent $100 or less on that has greatly improved your business life or your personal life? Oh, a really good camera. So I think the world today is digital, right? Mm-hmm. So a really good camera and a really good microphone, I think. You know, you can get both those for under a hundred dollars and, mm-hmm. and, but I see some really awful ones. So. <laughs> All right. Um, are you familiar with the term pioneers get arrows in their backs? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So how do you know as, as an entrepreneur, whether, whether to go into uh, a, an industry or you're disrupting it or you're being the pioneer or how do you know when to sit back? Because you have this awesome idea, but all you heard was pioneers get arrows in their backs. Yeah. So my thing about entrepreneurs is they better be fearless. And mm-hmm. and I think that you just don't fear the price tag. And the price tag mm-hmm. may be that you get arrows in your back. Mm-hmm. But um, but I think you just you just move forward and pay the price. As so many people in life in general are afraid of paying the price. They're trying to, so in the book, we talk about this thing about um, minimum effort people and maximum effort people. Mm -hmm. And minimum effort people makes a ton of sense. Be defensive, be, put as little energy as possible. Um, I think, no, for me, I'm a maximum effort person. I always put 110%. And if it means that I waste energy, I'm okay with that. Mm. So I would say, just go the extra mile all the time. All right. And finally, what's the biggest challenge in your business today? Um, I think the biggest challenge is getting other professionals to, you know, to think bigger. 
Mm. Uh, we work with a lot of accountants and attorneys. Mm. And I just talked to an attorney today and he's like, well, you know, I have enough business and that's probably enough. I'm like, well, so you don't want to grow, but you're spending all this money on marketing. I know. I don't know. We just really don't. I'm like, all right, make a decision. Be mm -hmm. one thing or the other. Say I'm, yeah. I'm not going to grow and I respect that or yeah. I want to grow and freaking grow. Do mm -hmm. it. But I, I think that's the one frustration that I constantly have is people just getting folks to, to have a big enough imagination. All right. Thank you so much for hanging out with us, Rick, the author of A Firm Worth Building. Um, hope we can talk again soon. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks, Dan, for having All right. me here. All right.